0: grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text is going to be taken from the book of Philippians as we continue through our series called Complete Joy. You may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have been gracious to us. You have done all the work to accomplish what is necessary for our salvation. Lord, we pray that we would receive this through faith alone in the work that you have done alone. And we pray today that you would grant us your Holy Spirit to continue to teach our hearts to trust in you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the the truly great joys, I mean, we are doing a series called Complete Joy, and, and I was thinking about it this week. One of the great joys that we have in the Christian church is when we hear stories of people who have been saved from their sinful past and brought into uh, this joyful, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you know somebody like this. Perhaps you are somebody like this. Where you look on your past and you see nothing but sin and disobedience and lawlessness. You, You came to this point in your life where everything fell apart. You lived for sin. You followed the bottle, you got addicted to drugs, you gave yourself over to all kinds of debaucherous activity, you got full of greed and gluttony and all of these things, and suddenly you bottomed out and you fell in the gutter and you are at the end of your rope. Pick your metaphor right here. And when you found yourself there, you also found Jesus there. It always seems to be where he shows up. And Jesus came to you and he said something along the lines of, you have lived for sin, but I have died for your sins. I have taken your sinfulness away from you. I have died for it on the cross. I have shed my blood so that your sins are forgiven. So now let me lift you up, clean you off, and carry you home so you might celebrate in the presence of my Father with me forever. And you have experienced in this way then the great grace of Jesus Christ for sinners. We love these stories. We call them prodigal son stories. Because they remind us of that wonderful parable Jesus tells. And, and many of us are familiar with this parable. It's one of Jesus' most popular stories. And it's the story of a, of a young man who rebels against his father. He takes his inheritance and he runs off to Vegas for the weekend where he blows in a weekend your enti- or his entire inheritance. Which means he must have had a pretty decent time in Vegas for the weekend. And then he blew all of it. Or a terrible time, I meant. Terrible, terrible time. And he blew all of it and he bottomed out, and then there was a complete famine in the land, and he had nothing to cling to. So while he went to work for a pig farmer and fight the pigs for food, he realized, you know, my father's a pretty generous guy, maybe he will hire me back. And so he cooked up a nice little repentance narrative so he could go home and sort of plead with his father and hopefully be hired on with the rest of the staff. So as he's walking home and rehearsing this thing over and over in his head, his father sees him, the text says, a long way off. And before the son even realizes it, the the father has sprinted maybe for miles to greet his son, and he scoops him into his arms, and he embraces him with his mercy. And while the son is mumbling through his repentance thing, the father's hardly even listening. He's already getting the fattened calf killed so they can throw a party. He's clothing him in the, the righteous robes. He's making, he's treating him like royalty. And he is full of joy because the son of his who was lost is found, who was dead, is now alive. And it's this is great picture. We love these stories because for many of us, we've lived these stories. After our sinful past, we couldn't possibly believe that God would be that gracious to And we are floored again and again to find out that it is true. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you're someone who has bottomed out in your sins. And you've never heard that Jesus could love you. You've never heard that Jesus could forgive you. Or maybe you're one of those who was with us this morning who has bottomed out in your sins again. And you need to hear it again for the 77 times seventh time. But for all of you here today, who have wrestled and battled and failed in your sinfulness. The Lord Jesus comes to you again and says, I forgive you for all of it. All of it is covered by my shed blood. I declare you righteous in the sight of the Father. You are just and pleasing to God. Now come to the table and rejoice and celebrate. For I have a party ready for you. love these stories. And I think one of the reasons I find so much joy in these accounts is that what I find is that people who have come through something like that tend to become very bold and very excited in sharing their faith with others. They get excited to tell other people their story, but not just that. They want to have other people join them in this joy. They want other people to know the forgiveness that Christ Jesus has for them. Some of our greatest preachers have had the most sinful past. Which is why I think when we come to St. Paul today, we might expect that from him. We might expect that as we see perhaps the greatest preacher in the history of the church, certainly one of the most significant, as, as the Holy Spirit used him to write much of the New Testament, We might expect that Paul himself had lived quite the lawless, checkered past, full of sin and debauchery. But then when Jesus found him, Jesus got him, he cleaned Paul up, and he made him a better man. That's what we would expect. But, as we come to our text today, we find that we would not even be close if that's what we thought about St. Paul's past. In fact, today, as we as we dive deep into this book of Philippians, Paul is going to give us his story, and we're going to get from Paul uh, what we might say is a completely different sort of testimony. It's not a testimony; it's not a story of someone who was saved from vice and put into a position of virtue, as one great theologian says. For Paul, as for many of us, Christianity is not the story of salvation from vice to virtue. But really it is the move, at least it was for St. Paul, is the move from virtue to grace. From trust in our own obedience and our own performance for righteousness to the atoning, saving work of Jesus Christ alone for our righteousness. There's a lot going on when we talk about this, especially in these New Testament letters. Paul is writing to this church in Philippi, and he's, he's warning them. Before he gets into his testimony here today, he's warning them of a constant temptation that arises within the heart of the Christian uh, as it wrestles with the old sinful nature and really arises very often within the church. And we're going to call it the temptation towards performance. There's a constant temptation to perform. That is, to believe that we can earn our righteousness before God on the basis of our performance, on the basis of our obedience, on the basis of our good works. We are constantly tempted to prove ourselves, to justify ourselves both to God and to each other. We're constantly tempted to think that it is up to us to prove to everybody and to God that we are worthy of being here. That we are valuable to him and to the church. And so often the, the danger comes that there will come in preachers and teachers who will cater to this way of thinking. They'll come in and they'll say something like this. Listen, if all you do is talk about salvation, uh, if all you do is talk about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone on account of Christ alone, if all you do is give all the credit to God, what you're going to end up doing is just making grace way too cheap. You're going to make the gospel much too free. And you're going uh, to make everything, you're going to make God far too gracious. Because you see, what really matters in the Christian life is your walk, your obedience, your following of His will. What really matters in this Christian life is dedicated Christians who are dialed in and focused at every single aspect of their life. And if you're not there... You really need to question the sincerity of your faith. You see, what makes you righteous and good Christians is what you do. It proves that you are truly righteous. That, your performance, is what justifies. So Paul warns the Philippians of the way this is going to happen to them and perhaps the way it is already happening to them as they receive his letter. Because Paul knows the pattern, and I think we've talked about this here before, but every time Paul plants a church, he's always followed by these false teachers who will follow him up. He'll start a church, and then he'll move on to the next town, and immediately there will come in a group of people called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were a group in the early church who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that he was uh, the Savior who died and rose again. It's just that they didn't believe Jesus' dying and rising were sufficient for the salvation and justification of his people. They believed you need to do more. So what they would say is, okay, Jesus saved you, he got you in, great. Now it's up to you to stay in. It's up to you to prove yourself. And how do you do that? We'll, we'll go to the Old Testament. Start getting circumcised, Gentiles. Start following the ritual, start obeying the laws, start doing everything we tell you to do, and then you will truly belong to the people of God. Then you will truly be righteous in the eyes of God. Righteousness comes through obedience to the law, they would say. And Paul will have none of it. He's like, you want to you play the righteousness by the law game, according to the Judaizers. You want want to play that game? All right, I'll play that game, Paul says, but trust me, I'm going to win. Let's talk a little bit, Paul says, about my past. Let me give you, brothers, my testimony. And what you're going to see is that Paul did not live a debaucherous life in Vegas, but that Paul, according to the law, was blameless. This is what he says. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. You want a pedigree? I've got it, he said. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. Yo. That takes a little uh, humility to announce something like that to the world. I was blameless according to the law. I was pulling it off. You want to go by the standards of the Judaizers, Paul says, I surpass them all. But, he said, when I came to know Jesus Christ... When Jesus got me, and he found me, and he saved me, he didn't save me from a life of debauchery and sin. He saved me from a life in which I was trusting in my performance. He saved me from a life of, uh, that was defining my righteousness according to the obedience to the law. My faith was in myself and what I did. And Paul could say, as he does in a letter to Timothy, this would make me the greatest sinner of all. Even greater sinner than that burnout in Vegas prodigal son. Because at least when he had everything stripped away from him, he knew he needed a Savior. Paul said, I looked in the mirror every morning and said to myself, you know what, I'm actually pulling this thing off. I'm doing just fine. Paul says, I acted like I was pulling it off because I was pulling it off. But what, whatever reward that might get me, Paul says, I count it as loss to my account. When I consider what Jesus Christ has done for me. This is what he says. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is saying, my blameless life according to the law is a pile of filth, and refuse compared to the announcement from God that I am righteous on account of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And this is jarring stuff. Especially to those of us who love to boast about our greatness. Those of us who love to boast in our great works. To find out that the good things we have done, the great performance we have accomplished, has actually become our greatest sin, because we've replaced Jesus with what we have done. We have pl- replaced Christ's righteousness with our own righteousness. We kind of like our own righteousness. We like our good work. We like our virtue. We like to show it off. We like to put it on display because then other people justify us. They like us. They say, oh, look at them. They're so great. They've got it figured out. They're doing everything in the right way. We want to put this all up on Facebook so everybody will exalt us and smile upon us. We want to impress the world with our goodness, and we certainly believe we should be impressing God with what we do. We like to go before God with our track record. What's my reward? God? i got perfect Sunday school attendance. I'm the top of my confirmation class. I raise my kids in the faith. I'm at church at least three Sundays out of the month. I'm volunteering every time. This is maybe not the best sermon to preach when I'm looking for volunteers. That's okay. Uh, uh, (laughs) The Lord's putting me in my place today. I volunteer all the time. I'm doing everything the right way. I give constantly. So here it is, God. You're lucky to have me. What's my reward? And God says, what's your reward? Let me do this. Let me take those words out of your mouth and replace them with these other words. I repent of my pride. I repent of my self-righteousness. I repent of my performance. That's better, God says. Now let me tell you what I'm going to say. I forgive you for all of it. I have taken your sins away from you. Those have been paid for with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I have taken your performance away from you. I have taken your good good works away from you. And I have replaced them with faith in Jesus Christ, whose works are enough to save you. Paul is saying to us today, this gospel which took away all of his sin and righteousness has actually justified him. Christ Jesus saved Paul. Paul could not save himself. And it is the same for you. Christ Jesus has saved you. You cannot save yourself. So God must take away these good works from us for that reason. So we stop putting our trust in them. And we're left with nothing but Christ and his own shed blood. It's this this, this narrative that Paul tells us today that reminds me of the second part of the parable of the prodigal son. We should actually always call that parable the parable of the prodigal sons because there's two sons In that account, we like to focus on the first one, but we tend to leave off the account of the the second brother. You remember this. The father had two sons. The younger one rebelled with debaucherous living off in Vegas. But then there was the older brother. The older brother, he never left. He stayed home. He worked hard. He was obedient. He did everything that the father wanted, not because he loved the father, but because he wanted to earn his inheritance. He wanted to earn his place in that house. He wanted to justify his existence and prove that he was worthy of being there. So one day he comes in full of sweat, dirt under his fingernails. He worked hard. He performed well. He had a good day at the office. And he notices inside there's a party going on. And he hears that it's for his wayward brother and he's furious. And so he sits outside and he pouts. He's grumbling because of the grace of his father. So this is my favorite part of this parable. At this point, the father comes out to the older brother in the exact same way he went out to the younger brother. He ran to get that younger brother. He finds out that the older brother's not at the party, and he comes outside to bring him in. And the older brother is furious. I have done and labored for you my whole life, and I didn't even get anything from you. And I just love the grace of the Father here. He says, listen, hold on. Everything you have is from me. I have given you everything you've ever had. You've always had all of this. What is more, you have had my love without ever doing anything. I could never figure out why you were working so hard to get this from me. Because everything I have, he says, has always been yours. Listen, why don't you do this? why don't you stop looking in the mirror and feeling all high and mighty about yourself? Take all that good stuff you've done and all that performance that you're so excited about and let's just throw it on the trash heap out here and come on inside and party with the rest of the prodigals because we are having a great time in there. Your younger brother was lost and he's found, he's dead and he's alive again and I want you to enjoy the same kind of life and to delight in my love and my mercy for you. Now, this is one of the great things about this parable from Jesus. He stops, like right there. He doesn't tell us the response of the older brother. He doesn't tell us what the older brother does. So we're left with a cliffhanger. What's going to happen? Is he going to go in? Is he going to stay out? Is he going to stay in his own self-righteousness and continue to look in the mirror and feel sorry for himself? Or is he going to go in and join the party? I sometimes wonder as I read Philippians 3 if Paul doesn't have this parable in the back of his mind. And he says, Listen, God's grace was so overwhelming, so extravagant, and the party inside looked so fun, and the meal smelled so good, Paul says, that the older brother couldn't stay away. Paul says, I know this, because I was that older brother, I was me. I was the one who was so caught up in my righteousness that I was mad that God was being gracious to sinners. But then he got me. And he brought me into this gracious meal and Paul says, I found out the truth that Jesus comes even for virtuous sinners who indulge their flesh with their obedient lives. Paul says, Jesus came for all of us and his righteousness is the only thing we've got. So today, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let me do this for you. Let me take your good works away from you. Let me take away your pride and your performance. And we'll just remove it outside and we'll, we'll throw it in the rubbish heap. Let's count all of that as loss in comparison with the announcement I make to you this morning. All of your sins are forgiven and all of your righteousness counts for nothing in comparison with the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been credited to your account. You are righteous, holy, forgiven, and free, all on account of Jesus Christ. He's taken your sins and your righteousness out of your hand and replaced it with his own shed blood. And with this now given to you, come on into the party. Join us for the feast today and enjoy the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, the gracious one, as your Lord. we pray. Almighty Father, your grace is beyond what we can comprehend. Lord, remind us that not only do we need forgiveness for our sins, but also that our performance earns nothing in righteousness before you. In all things, Lord, teach us to trust in your Son, who has lived perfectly in our place, died the death we deserve on the cross, and risen again to declare us righteous and holy in your sight. Keep us for mindful of this and give us the gift of faith to trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.